0: SECTION 16 OF A GUIDE TO MODERN COOKERY PART 1 THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY MALONE A GUIDE TO MODERN COOKERY PART 1 BY AUGUSTE ESCOFFIER Translated by James B. Herndon, Jr. Chapter 10, Part 4, Leading Culinary Operations 3. Roasts, Grills, Fryings, Roasts Of the two usual methods of roasting, the spit will always be used in preference to the oven if only on account of the conditions under which the operation is effected, and whatever be the kind of fuel used, wood, coal, or gas. The reason of this preference is clear if it be remembered that, in spite of every possible precaution during the progress of an oven roast, it is impossible to avoid an accumulation of vapor around the cooking object in a closed oven and this steam is more particularly objectionable inasmuch as it is excessive in the case of delicately flavoured meats which latter are almost if not entirely impaired thereby the spitted roast on the contrary cooks in the oven in a dry atmosphere and by this means retains its own peculiar flavour hence the unquestionable superiority of spitted roasts over the oven kind, especially in respect of small feathered game. In certain circumstances and places there is no choice of means, and, no lanes, lanes, the oven has to be used. But in this case, at least, all possible precautions should be observed in order to counteract the effects of the steam above mentioned. 252. LARDING BACON FOR ROASTS Poultry and game to be roasted ought generally to be partly covered with a large thin slice of larding bacon, especially those pieces of game which, in special cases, are larded the object in use of these slices are not only to shield the fillet of fowl and game from the severe heat of the fire but also to prevent these from drying while the legs which the heat takes much longer to penetrate than the other parts are cooking The slices of bacon should therefore completely cover the breasts of fowl and game, and they should be tied on to the latter by means of string. In some cases, roasts of butcher's meat are covered with layers of veal or beef fat, the object of which is similar to that of the bacon prescribed above. 253. Spitted Roasts. The whole theory of roasts on the spit might be condensed as follows. In the case of butcher's meat, calculate the intensity of the heat used according to the piece to be roasted, the latter's size and quality, and the time it has hung. Experience, however, is the best guide for any theory whatever be its exactness, can only give the leading principles and general rules, and cannot pretend to supply the place of the practiced eye and the accuracy which are the result of experience alone. Nevertheless, I do not say with Briat-Savarin that a roaster is born and not made. I merely state that one may become a good roaster with application, observation, care, and a little aptitude. The three following rules will be found to cover all the necessary directions for spitted roasts. 1. All red meats containing a large quantity of juice should be properly set, and then, according to their size, made to undergo the action of a fire capable of radiating a very penetrating heat with little or no flame. 2. In the case of white meats, whose cooking should be thorough, the fire ought to be so regulated as to allow the roast to cook and color simultaneously. 3. With small game, the fuel should be wood, but whatever fuel be used, the fire ought to be made up in such wise as to produce more flame than glowing embers. 254. OVEN ROASTS The degree of heat used for each roast must be regulated according to the nature and size of the latter after the manner of spitted roasts. An oven roast, in the first place, should always be placed on a meat-stand, and this should be of such a height that at no given moment during the cooking process the meat may come into contact with the juices and fat which have drained from it into the utensil beneath. Failing a proper stand, a spit resting upon the edges of the utensil may be used. No liquid of any kind, gravy or water, need be put in the baking-pan. The addition of any liquid is rather prejudicial than otherwise, since by producing vapor which hangs over the roast, it transforms the latter into a stew. Remarks Whether spitted or in the oven, a roast must always be frequently basted with a fatty substance, but never with any other liquid. 255 the gravy of roasts the real and most natural gravy for roasts is made from the swilling of the baking or dripping pan even if water be used as the diluent since the contents of these utensils represent a portion of the essential principles of the roast fallen from it in the process of cooking but to obtain this result neither the utensils nor the gravy ought to have burned the latter should merely have solidified and for this reason a roast cooked in a very fierce oven ought to be laid on a pan only just large enough to hold it so that the fat may not burn the swilling can in any case only produce a very small quantity of gravy consequently when it happens that a greater quantity is required the need is met beforehand by preparing a stock made from bones and trimmings of a similar nature to the roast for which the gravy is required the procedure for this is as follows place the bones and trimmings in a pan with a little fat and literally roast them then transfer them to a saucepan moisten so as to cover with a tepid slightly salted water and add thereto the swillings of the pan wherein they were roasted. Boil, skim, and set to cook gently for three or four hours, according to the nature of the products used. This done, almost entirely remove the grease, strain through muslin, and put aside for the purpose of swelling the dripping or baking pan of the roast. Swilling Having removed the roast from the spit or oven, take off a portion of the grease from the baking or dripping pan and pour into it the required quantity of prepared gravy. Reduce the whole by half, strain through muslin, and almost entirely remove grease. It is a mistake to remove all the grease from and to clarify the gravy of roasts. Treated thus, they are certainly clearer and more sightly, but a large proportion of their savor is lost, and it should be borne in mind that the gravy of a roast is not a consommé. In the matter of roast feathered game, the accompanying gravy is supplied by the swelling of the utensil, either with water or a small quantity of brandy. This is a certain means of obtaining a gravy whose savor is precisely that of the game, but occasionally veal gravy is used as its flavor is neutral, and it therefore cannot impair the particular flavor of the reduced game gravy lying on the bottom of the utensil. The use of stock prepared from the bones and trimmings of game similar to that constituting the dish is also common 256 the dressing and accompaniments of roasts as a rule a roast ought not to wait it ought only to leave the spit or oven in order to be served all roasts should be placed on very hot dishes slightly besprinkled with fresh butter and surrounded by bunches of watercress this is optional The gravy is invariably served separately. Roasts of butcher's meat and poultry are dished up as simply as possible. Small roasted game may be dished up on fried slices of bread crumb mashed with a gratin stuffing. Number 202. When lemons accompany a roast, they should be served separately pieces of lemon that have once served to garnish a dish must not be used for they have mostly been tainted by grease the medieval custom of dishing game with the plumage has been abandoned roast feathered game à l'anglaise is dished up with or without potato chips and the three adjuncts are gravy breadcrumbs and bread sauce in northern countries game roasts are always accompanied either by slightly sugared stewed apples or by cherry or apricot jam two hundred fifty seven grills those culinary preparations effected by means of grilling belong to the order called cooking by concentration and indeed in almost all cases The great object of these operations, I might even say the greatest object, is the concentration in the center of the juices and essences which represent, most essentially, the nutritive principles of the products cooked. A grill, which is, in short, but a roast on an open fire, stands, in my opinion, as the remote starting point, the very genesis of our art it was the primeval notion of our forefathers infantile brains it was progress born of an instinctive desire to eat with greater pleasure and it was the first culinary method ever employed a little later and following naturally as it were upon this first attempt the spit was born of the grill gradually intelligence supplanted rude instinct reason began to deduce effects from supposed causes and thus cooking was launched forth upon that high road along which it has not yet ceased steadily to advance fuel for grills that mostly used and certainly the best for the purpose is live coal or small pieces of charcoal Whatever fuel be used, however, it is essential that it produce no smoke, even though the grill fire be ventilated by powerful blowers which draw the smoke off. More especially is this necessary, though I admit the contingency is rare, when artificial ventilation has to be effected owing to the fires burning in the open without the usual help of systematic drafts for if smoke occasioned by foreign substances or by the falling of the fat itself on to the glowing embers were not immediately carried away either artificially or by a convenient draught the grills would most surely acquire a very disagreeable taste therefrom the bed of charcoal The arrangement of the bed of charcoal under the grill is of some importance and it must not only be regulated according to the size and kind of the products to be grilled but also in such wise as to allow of the production of more or less heat under given circumstances the bed should therefore be set in equal layers in the center but varying in thickness according as to whether the fire has to be more or less fierce. It should also be slightly raised on those sides which are in contact with the air, in order that the whole burning surface may radiate equal degrees of heat. The grill must always be placed over the glowing fuel in advance and it should be very hot when the objects to be grilled are placed upon it. Otherwise, they would stick to the bars and would probably be spoiled when turned. GRILLS CLASSIFIED Grills may be divided into four classes, of which each demands particular care. They are, one, red meat grills, beef and mutton, two, white meat grills, veal lamb poultry three fish four grills coated with butter and crumbs, two hundred fifty eight red meat grills i submit as a principle that the golden rule in grills is to strictly observe the correct degree of heat which is proper to each treated object Never forgetting that the larger and richer in nutrition the piece of meat, the quicker and more thorough must be its initial setting. I have already explained under brazings the part played by and the use of ristling or setting, but it is necessary to revert to this question and its bearing upon grills. If large pieces of meat beef or mutton are in question the better their quality and the richer they are in juices the more resisting must be the rissled coating they receive the pressure of the contained juices upon the wristled coating of this meat will be proportionately great or small according to whether the latter be rich or poor and this pressure will gradually increase with the waxing heat. If the grill fire be so regulated as to ensure the progressive penetration of heat into the cooking object, this is what happens. The heat, striking that surface of the meat which is in direct communication with the fire, penetrates the tissues and spreads stratiformly through the body driving the latter's juices in front of it when these reach the opposite wristled or set side of the meat they are checked and thereupon absorbing the incoming heat effect the cooking of the inner parts of course if the piece of meat under treatment is very thick the fierceness of the fire should be proportionately abated the moment the initial process of wristling or setting of the meat's surface has been effected, the object being to allow the heat to penetrate the cooking body more regularly if the fierceness of the fire were maintained the wristled coating on the meat would probably char and the resulting thickness of carbon would so successfully resist the passage of any heat into the interior that in the end while the meat would probably be found to be completely burnt on the outside the inside would be quite raw if somewhat thinner pieces are in question a quick wristling of their surfaces over a fierce fire and a few minutes of subsequent cooking will be all they need no alteration in the intensity of the fire need be sought in this case examples a rump steak or chateaubriand in order to be properly cooked should first have its outsides result on a very fierce fire with a view to preserving its juices after which cooking may proceed over a moderate fire so as to allow of the gradual penetration of the heat into the center of the body. Small pieces, such as tournadeau, small fillets, noisettes, chops, may, after the preliminary process of outside bristling, be cooked over the same degree of heat as affected the latter, because the thickness of meat to be penetrated is less the care of grills while cooking. Before placing the meats on the grill, baste them slightly with clarified butter and repeat this operation frequently during the cooking process so as to avoid the possible drying of the resolved surfaces. Grilled red meat should always be turned by means of special tongs and great care should be observed that its surface be not torn or pierced, lest the object of the preliminary precautions be defeated and the contained juices escape. Time of cooking. This, in the case of red meats, is arrived at by the following test. If, on touching the meat with one's finger, the former resist any pressure, it is sufficiently cooked. If it give, it is clear that in the centre at least the reverse is the case the most certain sign however that cooking has been completed is the appearance of little beads of blood upon the wristle surface of the meat two hundred fifty nine white meat grills that superficial wristling which is so necessary in the case of red meats is not at all so in the case of white For in the latter there can be no question of the concentration of juices, since these are only present in the form of albumen, that is to say, in the form of juices in the making, so to speak, which is peculiar to veal and lamb. For this kind of grills keep a moderate fire, so that the cooking and colouring of the meat may take place simultaneously. White meat grills should be fairly often basted by means of a brush with clarified butter while cooking, lest their outsides dry. They are known to be cooked when the juice issuing from them is quite white. 260. Fish grills. Use a moderate fire with these, and only grill after having copiously sprinkled them with clarified butter or oil. Sprinkle them similarly while cooking. A grilled fish is cooked when the bones are easily separated from the meat. Except for the fatty kind, such as mackerel, red mullet, or herrings, always roll fish to be grilled in flour before sprinkling them with melted butter. The object of so doing is to give them a golden external crust, which, besides making them more sightly, keeps them from drying. Two hundred sixty one. The grilling of products coated with butter and bread crumbs. These grills generally consist of only small objects. They must be effected on a very moderate fire, with the view of enabling them to cook and acquire colour simultaneously. They should also be frequently besprinkled with clarified butter. And turned with care so as not to break their coating, the object of which is to withhold their contained juices. End of section sixteen. Reading by Malone.